Well, we are going through the book of Revelation because there is a rumor going around this town. There are those who are saying that the book of Revelation is but oh, contraire, say we, for you see, the word revelation itself means that something has been Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called it the consolation, not the revelation. And what is it that's revealed in this book? Well, the opening line of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we find is that Jesus is revealed in this book, not as he was 2,000 years ago, but we're going to encounter him as he would be now in his eternal glorified state. And we'll certainly be talking about that as we go. And God so wanted his people to take the time to read this book that he promised that for those who take the time to read this book, they would receive a very special blessing. blessing. And that blessing is found in Revelation chapter chapter 1, verse 3. Only book of the Bible that says this. This is the only time this phrase is in the entire Bible. And it says, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So again, this is the only book of the Bible that says, read me, I'm special. So it'd be odd for us to believe in a God who would say, I'll bless you if you read it. I want you to hear it. I want you to heed it. But here's the thing. You'll never understand it. It'd be odd for us to believe in a God like that. But God knew that there'd be those going around saying that the book of Revelation is hard to understand. So to make this book understandable, God placed in this book its very own outline. And that outline is found in Revelation chapter verse 19. Revelation chapter 1, 19, let's look at it. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that comes with its own outline. John is told, therefore, write the things which you have seen. That'll be the first division. The things which are, that will be the second division. And the things which will take place after these things, and that will be the third division. So write the things that you have seen. What has John seen? Again, verse 13, it just says, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, and it goes on to give this incredible description of Jesus as we would encounter him now. But then it says, write the things which are. Now, the things which are pertain to the time period that you and I will call the church age, age. and that will be found in Revelation chapters and three. Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. Those those churches literally existed. What he writes about literally took place. But what we find as we went through those letters is that in their order, they laid out 2,000 years of church history with incredible precision because it was just part of the prophecy. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, it makes absolutely no sense. But in their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. So we went through that. But then the third division, he says, write the things which will take place after these things. Well, after what things? Well, after the church age, after chapters two and three. So the next time we will see that phrase, after these things, will be in Revelation chapter chapter four, verse one. Let's look at it. This is the third division in the book of Revelation, and it says, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, after these things, again, after chapters 2 and 3, the church age, it says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet 
speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. It's not going to change after these things. And so each week we say the Holy Spirit is so concerned to make sure that we don't miss that this is the third division in Revelation, that he begins the verse with the phrase after these things, and he ends the verse with the phrase after these things. This is a picture of what we call the rapture of the church. John sees a door standing open in heaven, a voice like a trumpet. The voice says, come up here. And what we find is immediately John is in heaven. And as we, as we traveled through chapters four and five, we found that the entire church is transported to heaven in this time, and they are around the throne. So the church goes up in chapter four. And uh, one of the things that we find interesting is that when the church goes up, although the word church will be mentioned over 20 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, there's gonna be one word that's gonna be glaringly absent in the book of Revelation from chapter four, verse one, to the end of the book. And the word that's gonna be absent is the word the word church. And the reason being is that the church is no longer here on the ground part of the story. The church has been removed. And so you want to keep that in mind, especially as we're studying through today, that the church goes up chapter four, verse one. So the church goes up, we call that the rapture. And then what comes down? And that is found in Revelation chapter six, verse 16. Let's look at it. Everybody go over to chapter six, verse 16. Chapter six begins this time period known as the tribulation, that seven-year tribulation. So it actually begins in the first verse, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. And it says, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. That's a reference to God the Father and from the wrath of the, who is that? Lamb. And the lamb is always a reference in the Bible to... Jesus. Now, um, they are surprised that God's wrath was actually poured out on a world that has been hostile to God and hostile to his people. I always like to say, before you get to verse 16, always remember there's verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. Again, early in the tribulation period, it says, when the lamb, that's Jesus, broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, this is going to be in heaven, the souls of those who had been slain, they'd been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They are killed because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus and it cost them their life. You are passionate about your children. If somebody hurts your child, it does something inside of you. You get that because you're created in the image of God. Just as you are passionate about your kids, God is passionate about his kids. And he's given grace, but there comes a time when God says, that's enough. Well, we have been studying through this time period known as the tribulation. I want you to turn to chapter 17, and we're going to pick it up there today. And uh, last week, we looked in chapter 17, and we realized that there were a couple of things that God waited to the very end of this time period known as the tribulation before he told us uh, about these things. And so last week we looked at one and it was a false religion that is prominent today and it's also going to be prominent in that time period known as the tribulation. And uh, ultimately God had some things to say about that. We looked at that last week. And um, when we looked at that, we noticed something about, it was all about a woman. And in verse five of chapter 17, it said on her forehead, a name was written, it says a mystery. And we highlighted that 
Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And some of your Bibles are a little bit more graphic. And so it called her Babylon, and, uh, and yet it called her Mystery Babylon. So when we looked at that, we asked the question, is this literal geographic Babylon, or when it says Mystery Babylon, is it referring to something else? Well, we look down in verse 9, and in verse 9 it told us, here is the mind that has wisdom, the seven heads or the seven mountains on which the woman sits. And so we, we looked at that and, and uh, how this woman sits on what was called the city of seven hills, which would not be geographical Babylon, but uh, appears to be a mystery Babylon, uh, something that, that, that's very, very different. Well, we looked at that last week. This week, we're going to look at another Babylon that uh, the Lord chose to not tell us about until chapter 18, and that it's going to be very different than the Babylon that we looked at last week. So I want you to notice something. In chapter 17, if you go down to verse 16, it told us, and I won't unpack all of this, we did that last week, and the ten horns which you saw, and the beast will hate the harlot. And uh, we talked about how whoever this woman of Babylon is, that she's actually hated by the people that she thinks love her. So that's going to be very different than the Babylon that we talk about today. So I want you to go over to chapter 18 and look at verse 9. And uh, we notice they're not hating here. It says, the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and live sensuously with her will weep and mourn or weep and lament. So they're not hating here as they were in chapter 17. We're going to find that this is a very different Babylon, and uh, we'll see that as we go. I put on the top of uh, your outline there, um, there are three sets of chapters, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and then Revelation 17 and 18, and these talk about these Babylons. Now, it used to be that our church services were much longer than they are today, so teaching this last time, it was about 20 minutes longer than, than it is today. So I had to take a lot of stuff out. But I gave you those, those passages so that you can read, and, uh, but, uh, but, you know, check that, check that out. You have no idea how much it kills me to take stuff out. <laughs> I mean, I have nowhere to go today, so, so but apparently you do. So anyways, so I want to give you enough today that you go, okay, this, this, this makes sense, and now you can connect the dots. So last week, we talked about this Babylon, which was a false religion, uh, this one-world religion, and so we talked about that. The question in this chapter today is, is going to be, is it talking about literal geographic Babylon, or is it talking like last week, something that's not geographical, but, but uh, certainly um, um, maybe a little more mystical, as that one says, but it'll connect the dots for us. So um, I'm going to jump in in verses 1 through 3. You're going to want to underline as we go, and we'll unpack it as, as, we go, as we go through it. So chapter 18 begins, and it says, after these things. And I've underlined that. It's going to tell us after chapter 17. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. The earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, 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 fallen is Babylon the great. And then I want you to pay attention to the she. She has become, what says has become, maybe not always, but uh, in this time she has become. So keep, keep that in mind. A dwelling place of demons, a prison for every unclean spirit, 
and a prison for every unclean, and my translation says hateful bird. Underline that. You know, what's he talking about there? And all the nations, again, another worldwide influence, have drunk of the wine of the passion of her, her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and this very important, the merchants of the earth, not, it's, it's around the world, have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Some of your Bibles might say luxuries. So, a couple of things as we unpack this. First of all, the opening line is after these things. So you want to write down after chapter 17. So this is something totally different, totally different than chapter 17. And the sin here is going to be an economic immorality, an economic immorality. And it's going to highlight that all the way through. And it makes the merchants rich around the world. And I put there in your outline, it says the wealth of her sensuality. My translation says, some of your Bibles will say her delicacies. And then some of your translations will say the excessive luxuries. And then in verse 2, it says, and cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every unclean spirit, and a prison for every unclean and hateful bird. Again, let me say that, that it says has become. The implication is maybe not always. Maybe she started off very good, but over time has become. So that'll be important for our study. So she's also become a habitation for demons and unclean spirits. And then it also, my translation says hateful birds. Some of your Bibles will say detestable birds. So what is that all about? Well, um, there are a growing number of end times Bible prophecy scholars who believe that that might be referring to what you and I would call UFOs. And when we get into Genesis after we leave Revelation, we'll, we'll talk about that. But isn't it interesting, um, all the talk right now in news about the coming disclosure? Have you seen that? So much talk about they're going to disclose very soon. So we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So whatever's going on here, there's now a warning. And in chapter, uh, verse 4, it says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. So it says, my people. This is the only time the phrase, my people, is used in the book of Revelation. The term, my people, is only used in the New Testament uh, when it's quoting the Old Testament, and it's always speaking of the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. So it's, it always refers to the Jewish people in, in the Old Testament, at least in the New Testament. Now, you want to keep in mind, very important for our study today, this is chapter 18. The church goes up in chapter 4. This is chapter 18. So the my people here is not you and I as, as Christians believer, but after, after that time period. So those reading this in that time period will, will want, to, want to know this. Now, verse 5, it says, and for her sins, my translation says, have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her, to the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously or luxuriously, however your Bible says it, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, 
And then I've underlined, I will never see mourning. I will never see mourning. So, in this chapter, there, there are two predominant theories as to what this chapter means. And uh, the first theory is that it's talking about geographical Babylon. We'll, we'll see as we go why I, I don't think, and most people don't think that it's speaking of geographical Babylon, and we'll, we'll certainly see that as it unfolds. And uh, I would also share that, that the other the other viewpoint that's commonly held, by the way, how's, how's everybody doing today? Good. So the other viewpoint that's held is that um, this is actually speaking about the United States of America, which uh, many people are surprised is not really mentioned a whole lot in end times Bible prophecy, but is a very prominent country in that time period. So when we were in chapter 17, we talked about an institution that began very well, but over time became so unfaithful, it was called the harlot. And again, some of your Bibles were a little bit more graphic. And so some say that this is speaking of our country, which began very good, but over time has become something uh, so immoral uh, that he's going to call it, again, uh, a harlot. So when you look at our history, the United States of America was the only country ever founded for the purpose of spreading the gospel. When the pilgrims first came here, they came here for religious freedom and so that they could then spread the gospel around the world. Our economic system originally was built on the Bible, which is why if somebody files bankruptcy, it's only supposed to follow them for seven years. Well, where do you get seven years from? Well, that comes from the Bible. It only could, could go for seven years. When they decided to put in God we trust on the money, it was the understanding that when they talked about that God, it was the God of the Bible. There is, in our country, there is what's known the separation of church and state. Now, that was a reaction against the, the king of England and the church and state that was there, and so they wanted to have a separation which is why many of you who are here today, you are not wearing a mask. Now, the reason you're not wearing a mask, if you were to read the uh, county's mandate, the mask mandate, it talks about all the masks that have to be worn and this, that, and the other thing, but there's a line in there that says religious organizations are exempt. We're exempt. Do you know why we're exempt? Because the First Amendment tells the government that there's a separation and they are not to tell us how to worship. So we're not to tell them some things, they're not to tell us some things. They don't always get it right, but the county got it right this time. So, Some would say, however, over time, we as a nation are now living what you might call economic immorality. Although we started very faithful... Uh, we become something very different, and we are not doing what we were originally designed to do. And uh, when you think about when public school was began in our country, part or the major curriculum that was used was the Bible. But now if you go to public school, you can't really even say the name of Jesus in public school without there being a great uproar. So again, some would say, no, nah, this is speaking of literal Babylon but whoever it is, and I don't believe that it is, in verse 5 it says, her sins have 
piled up as high as the heaven. So whatever's going on, piling up, has been going on for, for quite some time. It's been piling up. And um, there's something that I, I need to tell you about myself. Um, I am a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I am. My motto is, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> so, are you guys up for a little conspiracy theory today? Good, good, good. All right, all right. So, the symbol of our country just happens to be a woman. As a matter of fact, if I put the picture up, we call her the statue of liberty. So we are known around the world by welcoming people through the Statue of Liberty. What most people don't know is if you go to the Statue of Liberty and you go down to the bottom, there's a placard there. And I want you to look this up later on today because this is very common knowledge. This is not crazy conspiracy theory. The Statue of Liberty is just very simply a replica of the pagan Roman goddess called Libertas. And uh, so, and it just says that. It's very, very upfront. It's the, it's the Roman goddess Libertas. Now, if you are a born-again, Bible-believing, evangelical Christian, you should be feeling a little bit weird about the major representation of your country being a pagan Roman goddess. But, but it is, and you can check that out. So, what most people don't realize is that our founding fathers were very, very much diehard Masons. And so when the, the city of Washington, D.C. was designed, it was designed with a great deal of Masonic architecture. As a matter of fact, if I just show you a map and I want you to go home today and look, up, look this up, what you'll find is that there's the Masonic pentagram. It was designed around the pentagram and the Masonic compass and, and square. It's right there. And the whole city was designed around Masonic architecture. How many of you did not know that? Good. You need to check this out. Go, go online today. Now, Masons, my grandfather was a Mason. As a Mason, he was a 33rd degree Mason. He was also a Rosicrucianist, if you're not familiar with that. But it's, uh, um, so we had the roses and the, and the crucifixes and, and, and all that. Now, later on, he became a Christian, and, uh, but, but uh, I grew up in a, a Masonic family. So what most people don't know, and you don't know this when you first go into Masonism, but Masons have a belief that when you don't get this to about the 32nd or 33rd degree, they believe that there's going to be a god named Apollo, uh, also called Osiris and Horus, who one day is going to come from the sky, and as Apollo comes from the sky, he's going to unite with human, human women, and uh, through sexual practice is going to create a super race, a super race, which is why uh, if you were to look at the seal on the United States of America, you'll notice on the bottom it says Novus Ordo Seclarum. Does everybody see that? Which just means new world order. Do you know that the book of Revelation is all about man's attempt to create a new world order, which ultimately is not going to work out? So this Apollo is going to come from the sky and uh, intermingle with the daughters of men, we might say, 
and create this super race which is going to usher in a new world order. So if you were going to invite Apollo to come down from the sky to do this, how would you do that? Well, one of the ways that you would do this, and I want to put a picture up of the Washington Monument, it's called an obelisk. Now, I want you to look up something today uh, when you go home, and you want to type in shaft of Baal, shaft of Baal. And what you'll find is that the word obelisk comes from shaft of Baal. And so this is a, the Washington Monument is a um, phallic symbol going up to the sky to in, invite Apollo to come down. Now, what you'll find in all of these obelisks, there is always a circle around the obelisk. And the circle means, well, just read your own biology book and figure it out. That, but it, it means what you think it means. So that's, that's what it means. Th does that make sense? So you have this massive phallic symbol with a circle, and that is to invite Apollo to come down. Now, before you think, oh, this guy has totally lost his mind. I want you to go online today just for fun and uh, find out what the dimensions are of the Washington Monument. What you'll find is at the base, it's 666 inches across by 666 inches by 666 by 666 at the bottom. How many of you never knew that until today? You want to check that out. But guess how high it is? Well, it just turns out that it's 6,660 inches tall. 666 with a zero at the end. Would you agree that most Christians are a little bit weirded out by the number 666? <laughs> so, um, so, very interesting. A great little book, Zenith 2016, um, Tom Horn quotes from Christian Pinto. Great little um, documentary if you ever want to get it. I think you get it on Amazon. It's called The Secret Mysteries of America's Beginnings. And it says in D.C., this is why one will find in our nation's capital countless images of gods, goddesses, along with zodiacs, the Washington Monument obelisk, reflecting pools, and a whole cacophony of pagan imagery. There are no monuments to Jesus Christ, the apostles, or anything having to do with the Christian faith. Not one. Not one. Goes on. Before dismissing this assertion as a conspiracy theory, ask yourself a question. Did Christians erect a bunch of pagan monuments to various gods in Washington, D.C., and while doing it just happened to omit Jesus Christ? Or was it done by men who outwardly pretended to be Christians but who inwardly had a hidden agenda just as their greatest philosophers tell us. So, you find that interesting? So, one of the things that we've been talking about is in the end times, you know, they have this viewpoint that Apollo comes down. Very interesting, as we've been studying through the book of Revelation, I have not highlighted this, but in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, I put it there in your outline, it says, they have a king over them, over the angel of the abyss, whose name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. Does everybody see that? Apollyon is just a variant of the name Apollo. It's the same, same name. Now, you'll remember last year, if you were here, we were going through the book of First and Second Thessalonians, and in that book it talked about how the church had to be removed before the Antichrist, the son of perdition, could be revealed. 
What I didn't highlight, at least let me highlight it uh, here, there in your outline, it says, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, I'll come back to his name, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. I put that there so we know, showing himself that he is God. Whoever this is is going to sit in the temple of God, and we've talked about that. But it's interesting, it says the son of perdition. Well, what is that word, perdition? Well, you just noticed there, it's the word apollius, which just means uh, son of Apollo, son of Apollo. So, let's just say, for conversation's sake, let's just say that maybe there's some merit to this outlandish theory um, of an obelisk inviting Apollo to come back to the earth and interbreed and create this super race and create a new world order. So if you were that country, and let's say you wanted to reach out to the, you know, maybe, maybe go beyond the earth out into space and maybe, maybe put something on the moon, what would you call that whole program that would go out? Do you think maybe you'd call it the Apollo? Probably nothing, but... <laughs> Do you find that interesting? Okay. All right, well, verse 7, verse 7, it just keep in mind, it says, to the degree that she's glorified herself, live sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and I will never see mourning. So I want you to write down, she refuses to see. She refuses to whoever she is. Now, it's sort of like the Marie Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake. I grew up in what's called the Church of God Anderson. Wonderful people. That was the, the church I was in for high school and college, and I went to their seminary. But in 1981, I went to the International Youth Convention, which was at the Fountain Blue Hotel. And they had a speaker there, and his name was Tony Campalo. How many of you have ever heard of Tony Campalo? Okay. So here's what I, before I say anything else, I need to say this. I am on the opposite end of the known universe, theologically and politically, from Tony Campalo. We might not even be in the same universe. But anyways, he's a very fascinating guy. And, um, but he was speaking, and as he was speaking, at a 45-minute speech, and as he's talking, he just stops. He says, do you know that in our world today, 20,000 people starve to death every single day? And then he went on. He was talking, and, and a few minutes later, he stopped. He says, I don't know if you know this, but in our world today, 20,000 people starve to death every single day. And then he kept talking. And then a few minutes later, he stopped and he said, I, I don't know if you know this, but 20,000 people starve to death every single day in our world. And then he paused and he says, and you know what I find is that most people don't give a, and I'm going to sterilize it a little bit, he said, poo-poo about God. I'm not going to say what he actually said. We'll just put it on the screen for you. <laughs> but then he paused and people gasped that he said that. And people stood up, and they started walking out. They, they were infuriated. And he let them get up. He let them get about halfway down the aisle, and he said, you know, it's interesting to me. I said 20,000 people starve to death every day. You didn't even blink. But I said a naughty word, you're walking out. Whoever this woman is, she refuses to see. She refuses to see. Now, because she refuses to see, notice verse 8. For this reason, one day, her plagues will come, pestilence, 
mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. Underline that. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. So she's going to be destroyed by fire. You want to write that down. Now here's going to be the response of the world when that happens. And the kings of the earth, you want to underline that, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lame it. I've underlined that. Over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance. I just want to highlight, uh, he's going to talk about standing at a distance. Whatever happens here, they don't want to get too close. And we'll talk about that as we go. Because the fear of her torment saying, woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour, one hour, your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will, keep, will weep and mourn over her. And here, because, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. So you want to write down, first of all, the, the response to her destruction is going to be mourning. It's going to be very sad. Not because people are dying. Verse 11 told us because nobody's buying their cargoes anymore. They don't care that people are dying. It's just that they're going to be losing their business. Also, what we find, and we'll talk about this as we go, whoever this woman is, is going to be a great importer of the world's goods. And we'll see that as we go. It's all coming in. And uh, when this ends, they, they won't be able to sell to her anymore. We're also going to notice, and I want you to write this down, there's going to be an emphasis that her destruction is going to come in one hour, one hour. And that's going to be in verse 10, 17, and 19. We'll talk about it when we get there. But literally, it's driving the point home. It's going to happen very fast. Now, if you were to read a commentary of, say, 150 years ago, they would look on at this and say, oh, she's going to be destroyed in one hour. How's that going to happen? I mean, when you think about it, you know, Rome burned for 10 days before it was, the fire was put out, but it wasn't destroyed in, in, in an hour. You have the Chicago fire. It took a whole week. How could a city be destroyed in one hour? Would you agree that right now you and I live in the only generation where a great city could be destroyed rather quickly? So we do. We live in that generation. And then I want you to notice, if that's the case, verse 10, hopefully you underline it, standing at a distance. However this takes place, they don't want to get too close. Could it be that there's a little, little too much radiation involved? So three groups we're going to find in this chapter are going to mourn her destruction. First of all, verse 9, it says the kings of the earth. So she's going to have this worldwide influence. The second one is going to be the merchants of the earth. In verse 11, it says, and the merchants of the earth. And uh, they're mourning because no one's buying their stuff anymore. Uh, she can't import. She's a great importer from around the world. And then everybody just skip down to verse 17 real quick. And we'll find another group. It says, For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, underline that, stood at a distance. There's going to be an emphasis in this chapter of standing at the distance. So the third group that's going to mourn is going to be those who are making their living by the sea. So whatever's coming in is all coming in by the sea. Which, which is interesting because if I put a map up of literal Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq, if you go up to the middle, kind of over to the right, you'll see that there's some rivers there. So Babylon has a river, but it doesn't really have a, a seaport. So whatever's coming into whatever city we're talking about is all coming in by the sea. 
So I'm going to suggest it's probably not talking about that, that Babylon, because it's all coming in, the merchants of the sea. Well, then in verse 12, it's going to tell us, it's going to tell us what the cargoes are that are no longer coming in. Now, as I read this, I want you to envision like you're walking through a department store and you're walking through each department. And uh, we'll, we'll see that as, as we go. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. And here's what's not coming in anymore. The merchant, or verse 12, cargoes. So we're going to go into to find jewelry. It says gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. And then we have fine clothing and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. And then we have housewares every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze, iron, and marble. That'll be the housewares. And uh, then we have cosmetics, and that would be cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense. And then you have fine foods, and it says wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep. And uh, then you have automotive. You know, automotive here, it says, and cargoes of horses and chariots. Now, before you think uh, that couldn't be the case, the word there for horses is hippos. It's one of those words that you just apply to anything that you're going to be riding around in is the idea. So that's the only word they, they could use 2,000 years ago. But it's the, it's the next line that, that really grabs me. Some would say this is like the triple X department. And uh, our Bibles might say it a little, little bit differently. My translation says, and slaves and human lives. Well, that's a possibility. Um, but the word slaves there is not a word that you would use in the Bible for slaves. That's not the common word. So here, uh, I put that on your outline. From a literal translation, it will say, end of bodies and souls of men. Bodies of soma, selling the body. And the souls would be suke. We typically say psyche. So on the one hand, what is the number one consumer? What country is the number one consumer of pornography in the world? It would be us. It would be us. Um, but when it says the selling of bodies, would you agree that there's a major human trafficking problem in our country? I don't know what country this is actually speaking of. But I, I just can't help but wonder if maybe they have a southern border where all of these unaccompanied minors are coming in. And as they're coming in, uh, some uncle they've never heard of comes and claims them and they forever disappear. I mean, when you think about the tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors that are coming in, have you ever met one? Most of you would say, no, I've never met one. Where'd they all go? Where'd they all go? So could this be a reference to human trafficking? And could that country possibly be uh, uh, a little more closer to home than we think? So the conclusion here is that the cargo that's coming in is luxuries. Now, verses 15 and 16, uh, let me read verse 14. The fruit of... The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. Verse 15 and 16. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment and weeping and mourning, saying, 
Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So once again, they're going to be standing at a distance. Verses 17, it says, For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance, they didn't want to get close, and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. So um, now God speaks in verse 20. And so when God speaks, he says this, Rejoice, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be, be, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of the harpist and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp, I wonder if she has a lamp that she's holding. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great merchants of the earth, or the great men of the earth, underline that, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. How many of your Bibles say sorcery? Good, you want to underline that. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who had been slain on the earth. So God pronounces his judgment. Keep in mind, this is chapter 18, the church is removed, chapter 4, verse 1. So who is this Babylon? What do we know? Well, first of all, she's going to be ruled by the rich. You want, to under, you want to write that down. Verse 23, it says, your merchants were the great men of the earth. But then it's her sorcery that's deceived so many nations. Um, it's an interesting word. The word sorcery there is pharmakia. Does everybody see that? Pharmakia. It means to administer drugs, the use of medicine, drugs, or spells. But remember that most of our Bibles come from an understanding that's about 150 years old. So if you were translating this 150 years old, uh, 150 years ago, they'd say, what, what nation has that much drugs that they actually use? I mean, that's not even a thing. But you know, right now in this room, every one of us, every one of us knows somebody whose life has been destroyed by substance abuse. We live in that only generation. And so, uh, whoever this is, uh, there's some very heavy substance abuse going on, very heavy. And, uh, but then another thing that we notice here is that God holds this Babylon, whoever it is, holds them responsible or guilty of the death of believers. Notice verse 24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who have been slain on the earth. What, what we, we find in her, she's the consumer, the great consumer of the world's goods. It's, it's all coming in by ship. But she will not see. She refuses to see. Uh, you know, just once the bottom line, what's the profit? You know, what's it going to cost? 
So whoever this is, they don't want to see. I, I want to read something to you. Now, typically, I don't come before you and say, you need this. But, but I, I would say um, this, this is sort of a must for every Christian family. You need to have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. You need to have a Bible, and, and this is a great book, to see just what it's cost people around the world to what it costs to be a Christian. So I'm going to read a story, and this is from China in the year 2000. So this is not three or 400 years ago. This is China 2000, and I've condensed the story just so you get the point. But whoever this Babylon is, they won't see. China 2000. Pastor Lee was arrested again in April. Pastor Lee has been arrested 13 times in six months for illegal preaching. When Pastor was taken to prison, he was immediately put into chains. Unlike other prisoners, his jailers chained his ankles not once but twice. Steel cuffs were put around his ankles and screwed tight against them by bolts on both sides. Then a second set of cuffs was put around his shins just above the cuffs on his ankle, also squeezed tight against his leg by the bolts. Then a long steel bar with the ring at the center was fastened between the cuffs on his ankles, spreading his legs further apart than his shoulders. So he's, he's, he's cuffed, but they put a bar between his legs so his, his legs are like this. And then uh, he was handcuffed and his hands forced down to the bar and chained to the ring. So he's going to be handcuffed with his legs like this, and then he's going to be handcuffed down so that he's his, his bent over. Everybody got the picture? So... In that bent-over position, his shoulders were just inside his knees, and he could not, not straighten up to relieve the pressure on his back. His jailers left him that way without a word and, uh, as to why he was being tortured or how long it would last. By the second day, the pain from his shoulders down to his lower back was agonizing. He was certain that if they, didn't, if they, if they left him in that position much longer, his back would be permanently damaged. At the end of three days, during which he had no food or water except that which was given to him by other prisoners, his hands were released and he was able to straighten up. After a few days, the pain in his back left and he was thankful that there was no permanent damage. Now, this is the part I want you to hear. Since his hands were now free, Pastor Lee was forced into doing manufacturing work assigned to the prison. Ironically, it was assembling Christmas lights that were going to America. The irony is that many Americans who purchased the lights for their Christmas trees were undoubtedly Christians decorating their homes for the holiday season to celebrate the birth of Christ, never suspecting that the lights that they were using for that purpose were assembled in a Chinese prison by a Christian pastor who had been arrested for preaching Christ. Whoever this woman is, she refuses to see what's really going on around her. Does that make sense? How much of our stuff says made in China? Made in China. But whoever this is, she refuses to see because all that matters is that she's consuming, consuming. This will be the ultimate judge for her. You and I are removed in chapter 4, verse 1. Did you find that interesting today? Good. So with that, I'm not going to give you a list of things that you should do, but please research some of those things that we talked about today and think about this. And don't be somebody who refuses to see and uh, think about that. Well, with that, uh, we're going to close. 
And I, and I do want to say that, that uh, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, you need to receive his salvation, his forgiveness, and you need to be part of the church that's removed and be walking in harmony with him. He loves you. He's inviting you, but it's your choice. It's your choice. So as I close in prayer today, you have the opportunity to invite him in. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, there's so much in this, and, and uh, Lord, there's so much more, but here, here's what we pray. For those of us who've never invited you, and we just say, Jesus, come into my life. Um, thank you for gi- forgiving me uh, of everything I've ever done. I, I want to be yours. I want to follow you. I want, I want to know you. And the Bible calls that being born again. And when you invite him in, he never leaves. And it's very simple. He made it very simple. Just invite him in. Invite the Jesus of the Bible in. And if you do that, he promises he will never leave you. And uh, your life will be very different. And uh, you'll be glad that you did that. Lord, for the rest of us, if this is about us, we've been living in a land that's refused to see for a long time and not recognizing how it's really like being a Christian around the world. I pray, God, that you'd give us discerning eyes and a discerning heart so that we could discern who it is and how it is that you want us to act and be in this time. Lord, I thank you for this congregation who loves you, loves your word and your spirit. And I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next time.